Hi, I'm Kingsley and I'll be reading the scripture for today. I'll be reading from Acts chapter 16, verse 16 to 24. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jew and throwing out our city into an uproar by advocating custom unlawful for us Romans to accept our practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrate ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and a jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Scott, and uh, one of the privileges I have is to be one of the vocational missionaries uh, of the Spring Garden Church community. I serve as the executive director of Youth Unlimited, or Toronto Youth for Christ. And you as a church actually support five uh, Toronto area missionaries serving at YU. And today we have the privilege of having some broader members of our family. One thing you might not know that as part of Youth for Christ, we in Toronto are part of YFC Canada. And my friend Daryl here is from YFC Canada today. And then we're actually part of an international movement in around 100 countries around the world. And if you've seen our recent four-year strategy, there's some at the welcome table. Uh, we in Toronto are actually just about to launch a partnership with Youth for Christ in South Sudan. And so when we had the opportunity this morning to hear from another one of our nations in the YFC family, I reached out to Greg because uh, I was very excited about how it just fit into our story as a church community. And so I would love for Daryl. Daryl is the YFC Canada Director of uh, Global Engagement. Did I get that right? Mm -hmm. And oversees our partnerships around the world. And he will introduce our speaker for the morning. Thank you, Daryl. Yeah. Well, thank you, Scott. And it's great to be here. It's literally decades since I've been in this particular worship space. So um, I think it's overdue. Uh, anyway, uh, it is my pleasure to uh, introduce a dear friend of mine, uh, Maher El Haj is the National Director of Youth for Christ in Lebanon. We have partnered together for close to 10 years in a variety of projects um, where uh, we have been working together just to reach uh, young people throughout Lebanon and the broader Middle East area. Maher is married uh, to Rachel, uh, has two children. He'll tell you a little bit more about that. 
And uh, Maher is a compelling speaker. He has great experience, and uh, he would like to share with you today a little bit about their experience of seeing people find Jesus in the midst of crisis. And if you follow the news at all, and listening to Emily's prayer, I suspect you do, um, if you follow the news at all, uh, the area of the world that he works in is constantly in crisis. And so um, uh, please welcome Maher El-Hajj today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for being out here here with us today. We just pray that you would bless him, that this opportunity would be a blessing to him and an encouragement to him, that we as a community would be blessed by his words and the truth that he will speak uh, today. So guide us, we pray. Amen. 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 You're allowed to push the button now. Sabah al khair. I'm happy to no one speaks Arabic? Okay, let's switch into French. Bonjour. Comment ça va? Ah, ça va bien? That's all I can say in French. <laughs> so, no, I'm going to be sharing in, in English, so don't worry. We'll be fine today. It's a privilege to be here this morning and to share the Word of God and what the Lord is doing in our midst in Lebanon. Um, just to give you a bit of idea where Lebanon is. So Lebanon is not Lebanon, Ontario, or Lebanon, Pennsylvania, or it's Lebanon in the Middle East. And as you see in the map, um, we have uh, to the north and east of us Syria, to the south of us Israel and Palestine, and to the west we have the Mediterranean Sea. It's a very small country in the Middle East the size of uh, Prince Edward Island. The second uh, picture is the picture of my family. I'm married to one wife, although I'm Arab. Uh, her, no, her name is Rachel, and I have a 12-year-old son, Timothy, and a 10-year-old daughter, Michaela. They all have really good Arab names, as you can see. Uh, I'm the only Arab name in my family, but I pretend to be English. Um, the next slide shows you the staff of Youth for Christ in Lebanon. We have 40 staff divided into nine departments serving uh, all over the country. Of course, they do all the hard work, and I get all the credit for that. Um, before we start this morning, um, our passage, um, I would like to tell you a story that happened with me that uh, inspired me to choose that, this specific passage. About 20 years ago, I had to serve in the military service. It was mandatory back then in Lebanon where every male should go and serve in the army for one year. And um, I finished my boot camp service for two months and a half, and then I was sent to serve in south of Lebanon uh, in a certain post. I would stay there for a couple of days, then come back to Beirut after a couple of days to be with my family. And one day, as I left my post in the south and going to Beirut, I fell asleep in the van. And there was an army checkpoint. The military police got on the van and woke me up and asked for my uh, paper permit because um, in the army, if you need to go from a place to another or you're on a break, you need to prove that you're not 
running away. So he asked for that paper, and I looked for it in my pocket. I couldn't find it. I looked for it in my bag. I couldn't find it. I'm like, oh boy, I'm in trouble now. And he asked me to come down, and I came down, and uh, he put the handcuffs directly on my hands and started interrogation. And I'm like, I'm not running away. I'm just leaving my post to go home. And he's like, there's no proof. We're going to treat you as if you're running away. I'm like, I'm not running away. Let me do one phone call. I watch too much Hollywood. One phone call. Yeah, right in Lebanon. He's like, yeah, 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 you'll get your phone call, whatever. So he finished the interrogation. Yeah, I was guilty, it seems. So they took my eyeglasses. Back then, I wore eyeglasses. So without them, I was so blind, as blind as a bat. And then they didn't give me my phone call, and they threw me in a cell on my own with a very thin mattress and a very thin pillow, and they just let me stay there. And I knew that I'm going to stay there for two to three days. That's what happens when they catch you, catch you in the army and put you in prison, especially if they think you're a deserter before you go to trial. So I was sitting there, I'm like, what should I do now? I have a lot of time on my hand. So I started being spiritual. And I'm like, Paul and Silas, once upon a time, had to go through this, and they prayed and worshipped, and something incredible happened, and they were able to get out. So I started praying and worshipping out loud, and I had a captive audience of other prisoners in the cells that thought maybe I'm crazy. But I kept doing that for a while, and nothing happened. No angel, no earthquake, no miracle. I'm like, maybe I'm not too spiritual. So it was almost midnight, I was exhausted, and I was put my head on pillow to sleep, and then the jailer comes and shouts my name. And I get up, I'm like, yeah, I'm here. He's like, come, the head of the prison, uh, the officer needs to talk to you. And I'm sure he put the handcuffs again on my hand and took me to the officer. Still, I'm blind as a bat, I can't see, I'm seeing a shadow walk in front of me, and I'm following him. And we get into the officer's uh, room and uh, he started shouting and yelling to remove my handcuffs and they did and he's like uh, I hope you're doing well I have they treated you well have nothing went wrong I'm like yeah it's a five-star hotel service what can I tell you <laughs> yeah everything is great and he's like uh, do you need anything I said I want my eyeglasses so they brought me my eyeglasses I said, do you want coffee tea water I said like, all of the above if it's for free all of the above get me everything you have and he sat me down and he was shivering I'm like, what's wrong with this guy? He's like high-ranking officer, three, three stars on his shoulder. And I'm like, what's, what's going on? And he started saying things like, I hope you're good. I hope all is well. He's being very nice and kind. And after about 15 to 20 minutes, he tells me, um, we got a phone call from your cousin. And my cousin was the second most high-ranking officer in the army after the army general. And he's like, we got a phone call from him, and they're looking for you. I'm like, yeah, figure. Of course they're looking for me, because I didn't come back home, and I'm sure my mom had a you know, nervous breakdown. And they called my cousin, and they've been searching all the hospitals in south of Lebanon trying to find me, thinking something happened to me, and I need to be in the hospital. And they didn't find me. So my cousin had a brilliant idea to search in the prisons in the south, which was a brilliant idea. And he started calling one prison after another until they got to the prison in Sidon, and they found me there. And this officer told me, yeah, they're sending you an army car to come and pick you up from prison. So it's been a, quite an interesting experience being in prison for about eight hours, 
tried my best to be spiritual, nothing happened, but it's okay. At least I tried. And this brings us to the story uh, that is uh, well known to many of us and the story of Paul and Silas, who the Lord has called them to come and preach in Philippi. Although their original plan was to go to Asia. And on this uh, missions trip, we had Paul and Cyrus, Silas and Luke as well. Um, but the Holy Spirit did not allow them to go to Asia. And uh, instead, Paul had a vision, a dream, a person telling him to come to Macedonia. And then they sail and go into Philippi. And the back end of the story is they entered that city and they couldn't find a place to worship. They couldn't, uh, because during those days, if you didn't have 10 male Jews, you cannot have a place of worship for the Jews. So the second place you can find the Jews worshiping or praying is near the river for ceremonial cleansing. So they went there and they found a group of women by the river and they shared the gospel and Lydia was saved. A businesswoman from Philippi where she was saved and her whole family was saved and baptized. So it was a huge victory that they went in and they got a first family to believe in Jesus. And then the next day, as they were going to the place of prayer, we just read that there was a slave girl following him around and shouting that they're the servants of the Most High God, they'll tell you the way to be saved. Which is true, right? But this girl was crazy. She had a demon in her, she was shouting and yelling, she was following them around for two, three days, and Paul was fed up. And he turned to her and rebuked that spirit, and it came out of her. An incredible miracle, another person being released from demonic powers and experiencing the work of the Holy Spirit. So far, so good. And then you get in big trouble, where the authorities um, punished them for doing that because the people that were making good money out of the slave girl lost their business. And they went to the officials and told them they're making this new religion and causing all these problems. And then Paul and Silas were severely beaten, flogged, stripped naked, and thrown into prison. What an incredible reward from missionaries that have been called by God to go and preach the gospel in Philippi. This is the punishment, or this is the reward they got for what they've done. And that takes us to the passage of this morning. And I've um, put a title for it, which is Thriving, not just surviving. And the word of God says, in verse 24, when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. So they were still scared, it seems, of um, Paul and Silas. They were scared of them, although they've been beaten up and put in prison, that they were still dangerous. That they have put them in the inner cell, where it's like a solitary confinement, where they put the, the, the worst criminals in there. It's dark, it's humid, it's dirty, there's no sunlight. I'm sure it's stinky, they are rats. And they put them in stocks. And it's a really painful way to sit, or pretend to sit. And it's a way to torture them and give them a hard time. And, and I would think if I was Paul and Silas, my reaction would be, 
I would be so bitter. I would be so angry at God. I would be so fed up that you called me to come and do this, and in return, this is what would happen to us. But Paul and Silas, they did something completely different that I wouldn't have done, to be honest with you. And, and verse 25, it says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Wow. And the other prisoners were listening to them. And that's what's incredible, that they had a captive audience. They had a bunch of prisoners that had nothing to do. They're stuck there. They're in prison. Like my story, they were listening to me and thinking I'm crazy. Hopefully, they were listening to Paul and Silas and paying attention. But they had a captive audience listening to what these two men are doing. So they were worshiping and praying and singing, although they've suffered a lot. And in verse 26, it says, Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. I don't know what kind of crisis you're going on right now in your life. Earthquake, crisis, storm, whatever you want to call it. Maybe you just came out of one. Or maybe right now you're in the middle of one. But for sure, you're going to go into one at some point. Because this is life. It's full of storms and crisis. And the way we do deal with it makes all the difference. Let me tell you about a crisis or an earthquake that has hit our country, Lebanon. In October 17, a big revolution started in Lebanon in 2019. The civil war in Lebanon finished in 1990, and um, those that were the warlords in our civil war became our politicians. Like a lot in Arab countries, they became the parliament members and prime ministers and different officials. And from 1990 until 2019, it's almost 30 years, they have been so corrupt, stealing all the money of the country, and let the country to an economic and social collapse. So a revolution started in October in 2019, and it was very powerful. About a million or so people went down the streets, and they succeeded in bringing down a government. And another government came, and they were not any better. And the young people even participated in such revolutions. They stopped going to schools, uh, no one going to universities, no one going to, to, to work, the streets are closed. It's like civil disobedience. And it was going very well. And we thought for once, we, everything is going to change. And um, things in Lebanon will be much better. Until March 2020 came and COVID. And the government used COVID to end the revolution or destroy the rev revolution, forcing us into lockdowns and scaring us with this virus. And so the revolution stopped for a couple of months, and then people went back down to the streets because they were still so fed up. And we didn't expect what's going to come next, an August 4, 2020 explosion, which is considered the second biggest explosion in the world since World War II, since Hiroshima. And the casualties were horrific. Half the city of Beirut was destroyed, and so many people got killed and injured, more than 200 dead, 7,500 injured, 300,000 people lost their homes, 
and approximately $15 billion in property damage. And that was caused by an explosion of ammonium nitrate, 2,750 tons of that that were stored in the Beirut port. And we're not going to get into details why it was stored there. And it was a shock for us uh, as, a, as Lebanese. It was a shock for us as Youth for Christ and the way we do ministry. Because our ministry is to um, share the gospel with every young person in Lebanon and to disciple them and connect them to a local church. When this happened, we had to stop everything. We had to stop all our operations and all we had to do is go and visit the people who, whose houses and homes are damaged. And we have a youth center that's not far from this port that was also damaged. And the houses of our staff and hundreds of our youth. So we started visiting hundreds of families to assess the damages and pray for them and listen to them and encourage them and see what we can do. And this map is the, uh, the number of homes, more than 100 homes we have fixed for the next couple of months. But we did it in a different way. In a sense, there were organizations going and visiting these families and treating them like numbers and statistics. And others that would say and come, we'll pray for you, we'll pray for you. And they never seen them again. But what we've done in other churches is we kept our word that we're going to try our best to help you. And we're going to be beside you. So Youth for Christ got into fixing homes for the first time ever and doing some relief and compassion work. Then we had to get involved in trauma intervention because some of the Lebanese youth we served have never lived the civil war. So they didn't they don't know an explosion and such a huge voice, uh, sound, and destruction. And we had Syrian refugee youth also that we served that have come already from the war from Syria, and they have been traumatized by the war. And now they are reliving this trauma. So hundreds of youth went through some trauma sessions. And because of COVID and the explosion and the collapse of our economy, parents didn't have money anymore to keep their kids at school. So we launched a school scholarship program, and we raised funds to provide uh, bags and books and stationeries for the young people to stay in school. And people didn't even have, even have food to eat. We, more than 60, 70% of Lebanon was living below the poverty line by then. So we raised funds also to distribute food vouchers on a monthly basis to 300 to 400 families for the next two years. And this was an incredible experience for us because we've never done that before. We've never done such work. But we've discovered that in time of crisis, as followers of Christ, people are watching us even more close than in time when everything is going well. And you know, when everything is going well, we talk about Christ and salvation and the peace and the joy and the hope he gives us. But in time of crisis, what happens to us as followers of Christ? Do we panic? Do we become scared? Do we want to leave the country? These are normal feelings that we go through. But we are the hope for the young people and the families that are in time of crisis. And they want to know that in such time as Christians, do we change? Or we're still the same? Do we still trust in the word of God and the promises of the Lord in the Bible? Do we still have some kind of peace and joy and hope even in such 
horrific time in Lebanon. And honestly, this made all the difference for us. And there's a lot of young people that came to know the Lord because of that. And we were able to partner with a lot of families to come and help us serve and uh, visit these families. A lot of the young people that their hearts were hardened whenever they came to our youth center, they would benefit from all our programs except they don't, they're not interested in the spiritual ones. But because of this, they wanted to know more about Christ and about Jesus and why we are helping them. We are Christians, they're not. Even their own people, the Muslim community, didn't come and help them. Why are the Christians coming and doing this? And there are no strings attached. We're not telling them, come and benefit from the food and from the school scholarships and come to church or come to a prayer meeting and come to a Bible study. No. We just lived Christ in front of them. We were the incarnational Christ among them. A lot of them never read the Bible or maybe don't know how to read the Bible. So when they saw us, they experienced Christ for the first time. And they wanted to know more about our faith. They wanted to know more about our story. And that made a huge difference in the way we did ministry. And we continue to do ministry. As we go back to the passage we read in verse 27, the jailer woke up. And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners have escaped. But Paul shouted. I don't know why Paul does these things. He had the best chance to run away. I would have run away. You know, like the heck with the prison and with everything. I want to just run and be saved. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. And I'm sure the jailer was so shocked and speechless. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He could not believe that they're still there. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Maybe this is the best thing I want to ever hear someone that doesn't know Jesus ask me. What should I do to be saved? And if I was Paul and Silas, I would spend anywhere from half an hour to an hour explaining to them everywhere from the Old Testament to Revelation and how Jesus came and died on the cross and what he had to do and incredible theology. And then, yeah, for sure they, he's going to believe. But this theologian, the best of the best, Paul, that have written more than half of the New Testament and one of the best theologians, didn't do any of that. All he had to say, just simple statement, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. That's it. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved. And sometimes we think, really, is that enough? From my experience in Lebanon, that, that makes all the difference. You know, going to church and attending a Bible study and studying the Word of God more deeply and studying theology and being discipled, it will happen later on. It will eventually happen at church but all these people that don't know Christ, they just want us to tell them, just believe in Christ and you'll be saved. And then the way we live with them and the way they see us living the word of God, very genuinely, they want to go more in depth. And because of that, this jailer and all his household were saved and were baptized. And that's our experience in Lebanon when we are being the salt and light of Christ in the time of crisis 
we are seeing a lot of young people and their families come to the Lord. Because they're looking for hope. They're looking for meaning in life. They're seeing all these wars in our region, all this crisis, and they're like, what's the meaning of life? Who can we trust in such time? And when they see us as Christians living such a victorious life in time of crisis, they want that. They want the thing that we have that they don't have. About two years ago, I took my kids uh, to do pottery. I don't know if you've done pottery before. It was a nice experience to take clay and try to mold it the way you want. And I took my son Timothy and Michaela. Timothy was uh, about 10, Michaela about eight. And Timothy was just charging, jumped and started molding and he did a nice cup, impressive. I don't know how he was able to do that. He's maybe artistic like his dad. No, I'm not. And he did a great job. And then Michaela wanted to do exactly the same thing. And she came and started taking the clay and trying to mold it to be the exact same cup like Timothy. And it didn't work out. And she started crying and crying and crying. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, Michaela, what's wrong? She's like, I can't do the same like Timmy. I want to do exactly the same cup he's doing. And I tried to explain to Michaela that whatever you do with this clay is beautiful, is amazing, is a masterpiece. Because you're the creator of this cup or mug or vase or whatever. So enjoy what you're doing. And what you do is very unique and beautiful. It doesn't have to be like Timmy's. And it brings to my mind this verse that always hits me when I read it. From 2 Corinthians 4, where it says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. This treasure that we have in us, we feel sometimes weak and vulnerable and unworthy to be the ambassadors of God, to be the machinery of God where we live in our neighborhoods and cities. But we have this treasure, incredible treasure, this salvation message. We have the Holy Spirit living in us and the gifts of the Holy Spirit that has given each one of our different gifts and skill set so that the Lord can use us for the gospel. We have it in such a, such a simple jar of clay that can break at any moment. But I think it is to keep us humble so that whatever we do, we can give glory to the Lord. We are hard-pressed on every side, but we are not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. So we're going to pass through crisis. That's guaranteed. And the Bible doesn't say that if you're a follower of Jesus, your life is going to be beautiful, be beautiful and amazing. He said, you're going to go through crisis, and it's going to be hard, and you're going to be persecuted because of my name. But guess what? I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to leave you alone. And brings back uh, the story from the Bible where Jesus was walking on water and the disciples were in a huge storm and they thought they're going to die. That's their end. And Peter had the guts to get on the water and walk towards Jesus. And when he saw the waters and the storm getting harder, he got scared and he doubted. And his faith weakened and he started drowning. 
And Jesus caught him and took him up. I think we go through the same things in life. If we keep our eyes on Christ and not at the crisis, things would be different. And whatever we're coming through, all these waters that we feel, all the storm coming all over our head to drown us, we need to remember this is the same water that are beneath the feet of Jesus. And Jesus promised us that I will never leave you nor forsake you. And we need to really cling to those promises. And sometimes maybe the, the storm or the crisis we go through, Jesus or God chooses not to change it. But you know what? He will definitely change our hearts. And the, the, the person we're going to be when we come out of this crisis will not be the person that was in the crisis. And the Lord will use us to help other people that will be in crisis. And there are so many crises in our lives. If it's in our personal lives, if it's in our schools, universities, workplace, church, our country. There's so many crises. And our role as a church is to be ready. Is to be equipped, to be trained in prayer and the word of God. And to be the hands and feet of Jesus for this lost world. I chose the uh, name uh, for my sharing time, Thriving, Not Just Surviving. Because in Lebanon, if you walk down the street and someone sees you and asks you, how are you, kifak? Usually I would answer, meishelhal, which means, oh, it's okay. It's okay, surviving. But then when, when I kept hearing myself saying every time, yeah, I'm surviving, I'm surviving. I'm like, I'm a follower of Jesus. How can I say, yeah, it's fine, I'm surviving? We need to be thriving, especially in time of crisis, because we have an incredible captive audience of people in our lives that don't know Jesus. Our parents, our siblings, our neighbors, people in our community, they don't know Jesus, and their eyes are going to be on us to see how we're going to live through this crisis. And when we thrive, when we thrive, you know, the credibility of the word of God, the reputation of Christ is at stake. And when we thrive, a change will happen in the lives of the people around us. And that's our experience in Lebanon. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for being so close to us all the time and even more and more in time of crisis. And thank you, Lord, for using us uh, as jars of clay, and you have such an incredible treasure in us that we should share and show to everyone around us. And Lord, I don't know what anyone from my brothers and sisters are going through this morning, what crisis they have in their lives, but I pray, Lord, that you would protect them and sustain them and give them courage and let them see you, Lord. May have courage and not fear because you're with them. And I pray, Lord, that as the body of Christ, as a church here in this town, Lord, that we rise up and young, young people and old people would see that we are your salt and light in a time of crisis or in time of peace. May your light, Lord, shine through us to this lost world. And they, may they... Come to know you and believe in you. 
because of the way we're living our lives that honor you and glorify you. I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you, Mayor, for sharing your story, for sharing this message of hope, for sharing God's story through you and your people, and uh, for the challenge that we're all called to, to love and serve our neighbor and to live Christ.